Well, you may have noticed, uh, it's, it starts subtly, but all of a sudden it becomes very obvious. You may have noticed that the days have gotten shorter. Has anyone noticed that? Yeah, it tends to happen uh, every year. The days get longer until we hit the, uh, the solstice in June, and then they get shorter until we hit the other solstice in December. And the solstice, of course, for you kiddos, those are the shortest and the longest days of the year for us. And kids, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you like the summer solstice or the winter solstice better? You like the days to be long? Why do you like the days to be so long? Tell me about that. Then you can have more fun, right? Because it's still light outside and you can stay outside and play until, until bedtime. And then when it's bedtime, you will complain about the injustice of going to bed while it's still sunny outside, won't you? Have any of you ever done that before? Yes, I know you have, so. But Christmas comes at the winter solstice, doesn't it? And what do you know about winter? If you could think of some things, we'll open it up to everyone. We won't make the kids do all the work tonight. If you can think of some things that are true about winter, what are they? Wesley? Snow. Snow, yeah, not here, but we can see it in the mountains, right? Jonathan. Um, gifts. Gifts? Yeah, well, that's Christmas. You're, you're getting ahead of me. Evie? Dark and cold and boring, right. Anyone else? Any grown-ups? Dan? Rain. Rain. Yeah, if we're lucky, that's true. That's true. I want you to imagine for a moment that you live in uh, Michigan. We used to have a man here at the church, Orb Stevens, and Orb was from Michigan. And one time, Orb went with George Clausen and I out to ECO's National Gathering, our denomination's annual conference in Colorado Springs. And do you know what month we went to Colorado Springs? January. Now, Orv moved from Michigan to California because he didn't like the weather in Michigan. So when we came to, uh, when we got to Colorado Springs, it was snowing. And when we woke up the next morning and, and the ground was blanketed in snow, or if he had kind of a, a funny voice, I loved his voice. And he looked out the window and he said, snow! <laughs> I can't believe there's snow! He was so angry that we were back in the snow because he remembered he always had to shovel all the snow away. And it was a lot of work, and it was hard to do his job. He worked outside, so he was cold, and he was miserable. And that's the season that Christmas comes in. Isn't that strange? Why would we choose the time of year when Orv was most miserable to have Christmas? Well, it's what we call symbolism. Symbolism. If you heard all the scripture readings we read tonight... You heard all the way from the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is the very first book of the Bible, and it describes the very first things that ever happened in our world. And the last reading we had was from the book of, of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah took place about 2,500, 2,600 years ago. Long, long time ago. 
And all along, from Genesis to Jeremiah and all the way through the end of the Old Testament, people were talking about someday God's going to make everything right that's gone wrong in our world. He's going to send someone to us. Did you hear? God said to Eve, one day you're going to have a child and he will stomp on the head of the serpent who led you into this evil. That's right. Stamp. Just like that. And then we heard out of, where did we go next? It was, oh, the end of the book of Genesis. Jacob's children. He said, Judah, my son, from you will come a great king. And then in uh, 2 Samuel, we ran into David, who was a great king. And he was a son of Judah. And God said, I am going to make one of your children a king who will be king forever. And then we came to Jeremiah. We're going to spend some time there now. Jeremiah the prophet. And he was prophesying to the the nation of Judah just before it was swallowed up, invaded and conquered by the Babylonian Empire. In the very beginning, it's hard to actually know how to reckon these things. It would have been the beginning of the 6th century B.C. 586 B.C. is when uh, Judah was finally conquered. And this is what he says. He says, look, you people in Judah right now, you are subject to the king of Babylon. He has a big army and he's making you pay tribute to him every year and things are not good. And then he goes on and he says, actually, things are worse than that because there isn't just a foreign king that's oppressing you. Your own king, your own shepherds. He says this just before the passage D read for us. He says, woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people, because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them. I will bestow punishment on you for the evil that you have done. Even God's own people, their kings and their leaders were no good. And they were waiting and saying, God, what about that king that you promised? What about that that son of Eve, that descendant of Judah in the line of David? When can we expect him? And they came to talk about this coming king. They gave him a, a title. He didn't know what his name would be, but they gave him a title. They called him the Mashiach. Has anyone ever heard that word Mashiach before? No, it's because it's Hebrew, so you might not know it. But in English, we say Messiah. And in Greek, they say Christ. They said, one day our Messiah will come. One day our Christ will come. And then we come to the angels speaking to the shepherds. Remember the shepherds lying in their fields by night, watching over their sheep. And the angels appeared and announced good news to them. They said, don't be afraid. We bring you good news of great joy. Today is born to you in the city of David a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. He's the one you have been waiting for. Well, God has built up this character pretty well. And the people who, were, who received this message felt like they were living in the bleak midwinter with snow piled up everywhere. Nothing was growing. Everything was dead. The days were short so they couldn't stay out and play until the wee hours. They had to go to bed. What was this Christ going to be like? What would he do? 
Well, first, the Messiah would be the special king. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Now, sometimes we have leaders who don't care as much for the people they serve as for getting the people to serve them. We see that happen all the time. It can happen in schools. It can happen in churches. And it can happen in our government where leaders care more about themselves than the people that they are supposed to be taking care of. And when God says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, uh, pasture, the way those words are, uh, destroying and scattering, they're called participles, kiddos. I don't know if you've gotten there in grammar yet. They're called participles, uh, adults. I don't know if you remember what the grammar of that means. So let me tell you, it means that this is, in Hebrew, a continual process. They are constantly destroying and scattering the sheep of God's pasture. Who do you think, kiddos, who do you think the sheep of God's pasture are? Yeah, God's people, the people that he loves. And so God is going to take care of those bad shepherds and send a good one instead. It's interesting, the king of Judah, at the time Jeremiah gives this message, his name was Zedekiah. Have you ever known anyone named Zedekiah? That word, name means in Hebrew, God is righteous. Yahweh is righteous. But Zedekiah wasn't very righteous at all. He was one of the destroyers and one of the scatterers. But God said, someday, the king that I am going to send, his name will be the Lord, our righteous Savior. He won't be like Zedekiah. He will live up to Zedekiah's name, as a matter of fact, in ways that Zedekiah hasn't. And as we look out on our world today, one of the things that I am reminded of by this is that we have all around us a lot of imitation Zedekiahs. People whose name sound, or who, who say things that make you think the Lord our righteous Savior, but who don't live like it very well. Even the people who try the hardest can never fully do this. Right? All of us make mistakes. But God's special king who's coming, the Christ, he won't make mistakes. He will always live in such a way that we will say, yes, the Lord is our righteous Savior. So on Christmas, God sends a message to the world through the Messiah, through the King, that the shepherds who scatter and destroy will not do so forever. The King has come. Today, we know, as the Hallelujah Chorus says, which is actually quoting the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 15, it says, the kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and of his Christ. And then they just sing hallelujah a whole bunch, right? Because that is good news. And we see this already starting to come true in our lives. Because does anyone here know that Jesus is their king? And does that change the way that you live? Your lives, when you obey the one true king who is coming back, show that he is the true shepherd. 
and look at the difference his rule makes in my life. But the Messiah isn't just the Davidic king. He also rules in justice and righteousness. In the Gospel of John, the story of Jesus' life, if you flip over there to chapter 10, Jesus says something that's very interesting. And I wonder if you had Jeremiah in mind when he said it. In John chapter 10, starting in verse 11, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Jesus isn't like those other shepherds who rule for their own benefit. Jesus rules for the benefit of his sheep, for the benefit of his people. And how do we know that that's true? What did Jesus do? Do you remember? What are some of the things Jesus did? Can anyone help me out? Healed the sick. Healed the sick. He did that. That's caring for the sheep. He died for us. That's right. He died for us. You know, have you ever given away something that was really important to you, really valuable? Maybe you had a friend and you thought, I want to give them something nice to show them that I care about them. Was it a little bit hard to give that thing away? You thought, I love my friend and I want them to have this gift, but I kind of want it for myself still. Well, what could be a bigger gift than to give your life to people? And Jesus gave his life in two ways. Jesus gave his life most obviously by dying on the cross. But Jesus also gave his life by living for his people. I love Jesus was always uh, trying to find someplace quiet to go and pray and just be with his Father, be with his God. And people would then come, be like, no, Jesus, there's no time for that. Be with us. And what did Jesus do when people did that? Do you know? Jesus got back up off of his knees and he went back to be with God's people because he didn't just give the end of his life to them. He gave his whole life to them. See, the Messiah rules in justice and righteousness because he thinks of his people before he thinks of himself. And then finally, the Messiah brings safety, security to God's people. In our Jeremiah passage, it says, In his days, in the Messiah's days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. You know, the president, we call him a bunch of things. But one of the things we call him is the commander-in-chief. And does anyone know what that means? Adults, you can help out because this might be tough for the kids. Commander-in-chief. What does that mean? Final the final say, but specifically as the final say over a certain group of folks. The military. He is the commander-in-chief of the military. And the Messiah is like that. The Messiah said uh, at one point, don't you think that if I ask, God would send armies of angels here right now? And God would. Jesus is the commander-in-chief. He has all of the power. And when he comes back, no one will be able to stand in his way. But you know what the beautiful thing is? When he comes back, he changes the hearts of his people so that not only does he have all the power, 
but he has all of our devotion too. Because why? Because he lives his life for us. He gives his life for us. Because he is righteous and he does what is just. And one day we'll all be able to see it. And when that day comes, the Messiah will rule. You and I, well, you and I today already have this in part. Jesus already makes us safe in part. Now, does that mean, boys and girls, that you'll never fall down and skin your knee, even break a bone? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean, grown-ups, that you'll never lose your job or your house will never catch on fire? Tom, I'm, I'm looking to you on that house catch on fire one. <laughs> no, it doesn't mean that. It means something else. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, God says to us through Peter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. See, Peter says, you have something in Jesus that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's in heaven where no one can steal it. Did anyone catch what it was? It's a little subtle. You have to think about it hard. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is nothing anyone can take away from you that Jesus won't give back and more. He gives us life. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 7, 144,000 people are sealed. And if you were here for our series on Revelation, you know that this is 12 tribes of Israel times 1,000, because that means it's a lot times uh, 12 more, just to make that number for all of the tribes. And it becomes this huge number, 144,000. God isn't saying, I'm only going to seal 144,000 people, so make sure you're one of the lucky ones. God is saying, I will seal everybody with my special mark in the church so that they will know that they belong to me and so that Satan can never grab them out of my hand. And so that they will be assured that they will live forever. In John 14, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. We are those who have been sealed. And no one can take us out of God's hand. In Christmas, God says all of this is coming true. It's here. You can grab onto it. The shepherds got to go and touch Jesus with their hands, as long as mom was okay with it, and say, now I know that God saves his people. He has finally sent us our Messiah, our King who rules in justice and righteousness and puts our needs ahead of our, his own, who brings safety to his people and holds on to them. Forever. All of this comes in the bleak midwinter. 
at the moment when everything is darkest, to remind us that there is no time in our lives when God can't reach out and transform our circumstances, transform our hearts, and transform all that we are. 